Thank you for joining the Together Church Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Our prayer is is that today's message will inspire you and help you move closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy today's message. Did you know that God has emotions? Crazy thought, but you know, all throughout the scriptures, what we see is God having these emotions. I mean, there's examples all over the scriptures. Um, God gets angry. God loves. He has compassion. He grieves. He expresses joy. And the emotions that God has are perfect and without fault, without sin, and they're always appropriate. Now, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, it tells us that you and I are made in the image of God. And that means that you and I have emotions too. And let's admit, some of us are a little more emotional than others. But there's also a big difference between our emotions and the emotions of God. Because you and I have been infected with this thing called sin. And the way that we express our emotions can often be accompanied by these improper motives. So we very often will misuse our emotional ability on people. However, because you and I are affected by sin, our emotional expression is often accompanied by some improper motives. I mean, we covet, we get angry in an unrighteous way. It's fair to say that we very often misuse our emotional ability. And would you agree with me on that, that we oftentimes misuse our emotional ability? The bottom line is this. Our emotions are touched by sin where God's emotions are not. And over these next four weeks, we're going to discuss the different emotions of God. Namely, we're going to look at his anger, his mercy, his love, and even his empathy. Through these four different narratives that we're going to find in the Gospels, we're going to see Jesus acting as his Father would and displaying very unique attributes that we can both experience and extend as we live out the Gospel. So today, we're going to just take a look at God's anger. So why don't you open your Scriptures up? You can turn to your Bible to John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13. And I want us just to see what it is this passage has to say about God's emotion. So John chapter 2. In verse 13, let's look together and see what John has to tell us today. It says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Now, we need to stop right here for just a minute so we can get some context behind what this scripture is saying. Every year from all over the known world would come these Jewish people to the temple in Jerusalem. And they would come to celebrate the Passover. Passover um, dates back to in the book of Exodus and Moses and that whole story about how the death angel passed over the homes with lamb's blood. It was one of the plagues. But while in Jerusalem, they would go up to the temple to pay the required tax and sacrifice animals. So, While celebrating Passover, a part of what they did was pay taxes and sacrifice animals. Now, we talk about a temple tax. They paid tax to the temple. So every Jewish male had to go to the temple, and they had to pay this temple tax. There was absolutely no way around it. They were required to pay half a shekel tax at Passover. And no problem, right? Just pay it and be done. Well, the problem was Jews came from all over the known world, different currencies, so The temple did not accept a Roman or a Greek coin because 
Many of them would have had those things, but the temple wouldn't accept it because they had the image of Caesar on it, and Caesar was seen as a deity or a god. So the temple required a payment to be made on with their taxes. It had to be a special temple coin. Now, where do you get the so-called special temple coin? Well, no worries. The temple money changers had already worked out a very convenient way for you to get your coin. The money changers had the coins, and they would simply exchange a special temple coin for a Roman or a Greek coin. This was like you know, sticking an ATM machine in the church lobby. Now, just imagine traveling to a foreign country, exchanging American dollars for, let's say, an Israeli shekel. I mean, there's no harm in that, right? But the money changers had an agenda. So having them available for the people, having this special coin available, was a convenience. That was the right thing to do. But the wrong thing was that these money changers had a huge markup with the exchange rate. You, you see, they marked up and charged way more than what they're supposed to in the exchange of Greek-Roman money for this special temple tax. But what was wrong with this huge markup. You know, you had to pay it. You had to pay the tax. And in order to pay the tax, you had to have the coin. In order to get the coin, you had to pay this huge markup to get that coin. And think about it. The, the only way you pay your taxes was by paying with this special temple coin. Now, let this sink in. Over 2 million Jews in the city of Jerusalem at this time for Passover, and the temple was making enormous revenues from the practice. They had a money racket going on. In the house of God. Okay, so we see that these money changers were absolute thieves. But here's the thing. It got crazier. Remember, they had to pay their taxes, but they also had to bring or purchase animals for sacrifice. Again, remember, this is all happening in the house of God. So a sacrifice offered at the Passover season had to be made with an animal without any blemish or imperfection. If, for instance, the animal was blind in one eye, or if it had, I don't know, a tear in the skin, whatever it was, it wasn't a perfect lamb spotless, it was rejected and could not be used as a sacrifice. So scholars discovered that in those days, if someone brought an animal of his own effort to offer it to be examined by the priest, it would almost certainly be rejected. The priest would find something wrong with it. So the animal then couldn't be used. So again, you had to make a sacrifice. So now you have to go purchase an animal. So you got to spend more money. No problem, right? Because the temple has you taken care of. The temple conveniently offered animals that were already approved by the priest, and they were up for sale. But guess what? The price on those animals were inflated. For example, a bird could be bought outside the temple for the equivalent of 15 cents of our money, but the same bird bought within the temple from the authorized animal sellers would cost as high as $15. Can you say extortion? I mean, the place of prayer has become a place of profit-taking. Now, what did Jesus think about all of this? Let's just say Jesus was not very happy. Verse 15 says that Jesus made a whip from some ropes, and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, and he scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor. He turned over their tables, and then, going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop 
turning my father's house into a marketplace. Did you see that? Jesus made his own whip. I can imagine with every naughty tide, his anger, his righteous anger began to grow. And think about it. I remember as a kid, maybe you have the same story of going to your grandmother's house. At grandmother's house, there was a different ball game, a different set of rules in grandma's house. Right? My grandmother was an incredible lady. She loved me unconditionally. She cared about everything in my life. But when it came to shenanigans at grandma's, those were not happening. There were no room for the shenanigans at grandma's. And I know you had this situation. Sure, you all do. Some of you will admit it. Some of you are still scarred by it. But when grandma would tell you, go outside and get me a switch, you knew things were about to go down. You would get that switch, and then you would do something extremely dumb. Do you remember the dumb thing that you would do when you would go get that switch? You would give it to grandma. You would give that switch to grandma, and she would pull the leaves off of it. And I can remember my grandma's face with every leaf that she's pulling off of this branch. Her face gets redder and redder, and she's mad at me because I have broken the rules of grandma's house with my shenanigans. But by the way, I, I will tell you, my grandma taught me how to pray. Because as she would prepare those switches, I would cry out to God and make promises that I knew my young self could not keep. But if God would come through, I would do anything. Now look at this passage. Jesus is making this whip. The whip in the modern day is the switch. Jesus is frustrated with activities at the temple. There, there, there's rules of the house, and they are breaking them with their shenanigans of marking up the price of sacrificing of animals, and they're marking up with these high uh, exchange rates for money. So Jesus is frustrated because these people are making the house of God about themselves and not about God. They're taking advantage of people who are trying to worship. They are making it more complicated. The people feel trapped. They feel trapped because they have to do this. They have to pay this tax. They have to make these sacrifices. It's a part of what they do to worship, but it's being made difficult by those who run the temple. Now, the temple here in Jerusalem had made a name for itself because people knew. You go to the temple, you, you better get ready because they're going to up the price on the animal. They're going to up the exchange rate on this currency, and we got to do it. And They're being crooked, but we've got to do it. It's a part of what we do. People knew that they were being taken advantage of. Now, here's a strong message for us today. The church wasn't looking after the people. It was making a name for itself. And when the church becomes more consumed with making a name for itself instead of lifting up the name that is above all names, then that institution is no longer a church. And this is what is happening here in the temple. They talked about God and they performed the rituals, but their hearts were far from him. Jesus even addressed this with them in Matthew chapter 15. They hijacked the temple for personal gain. It was a business. And the way Jesus reacted to the Jewish merchandising in the temple troubles some people who can't conceive of this loving Jesus being angry. But spineless love is hardly love. Jesus wasn't raging so furiously, striking out against everybody around him. In fact, he did not actually strap anybody of anything. He didn't hit anybody. He just knocked the money on the floor. He commanded that the birds be taken away, and he flipped some tables. Jesus is not anti-temple. He is anti-explosion because they're, they're just exploiting everything. 
He Jesus acknowledges at the temple as his father's house. This is his father's house, and he insists that it be treated with the reverence due the house of the Lord. Now, these businessmen were guilty of a double whammy. They took advantage of others, and they blocked God's purposes in doing so. No wonder Jesus was angry making that whip. I often wonder what Jesus would do if he were to walk in many of the churches in our world today. Would he be angry? Would he sit on the side and make a whip to run the money changers out? With all of this going down, the disciples are sitting there in shock, watching their teacher, their master, their savior, tying this whip and chasing people out. It's a chaotic scene. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And the Bible tells us in verse 17, Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But look at this. The disciples are thinking through how this connects to God, how this connects to Scripture. Remember the Bible says that the disciples were untrained men. They were untrained men, but God used them greatly. But look at verse 18. But the Jewish leaders, the ones who knew Scriptures better than anybody, they were teachers of the Scripture. They were the leaders in the Scripture. The the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? They didn't know. They didn't connect the dots. He said, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, you need to show us some kind of sign to prove it. And as people watched, many were upset with Jesus' actions. He he disrupted the, the business. He disrupted what was happening. People will be uncomfortable when the kingdom disrupts what they're doing with what is God's. So people are upset with Jesus' actions, but there are other people who are curious And they demanded that Jesus defend himself by giving a sign of his authority to do this. If if you're telling us that you can do this, then you need to give us some kind of sign that shows, that proves that you have this authority from God because you're not a teacher here in this temple. It was a note of irony. The religious leaders should have recognized the blatant disregard for the purpose of the temple when the money changers had basically turned the court of the Gentiles into a swap meet. And the temple leaders not only allowed this corruption to take place, they also participated. I mean, the disregard for God's explicit command to honor him with their lives through what was done in the temple was not being challenged by the leaders. It was being allowed and not challenged. And Jesus' action toward the money changers and the religious leaders pointed to what God expected and to the fervor with which a person should have pursued God's will, especially in the temple. You see, in the Old Testament, Solomon, King Solomon, he, he built the temple, and then when he built it, he dedicated the temple. And his prayer included a call for God to make the temple available to correct and restore Israel when she had fallen. And even in the prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, Verse 32, Solomon calls upon God. He says, judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. You see, God's anger and justice were to be on display all around, but especially in the temple, God's anger and justice would be on display. He judged the sin. So Jesus' response to the money changers And the others who were misusing the temple was well in line with what people would have expected from God in his judgment. That's why the disciples got it and others didn't. 
Okay, all that backstory. All that backstory. What does it have to do with anything? What does it have to do with God's anger? Well, there's three things that we can learn from Jesus' anger in this temple. Number one, we learn that Jesus is serious about worship, not about your singing, your whole life of how you put on display that I am a follower of Jesus. I worship God with my life. Jesus is passionate for the temple because his Father's presence is there. And Jesus is passionate for you because his Father's presence is there. And he is passionate for his church because his Father's presence is there. And sometimes it'll feel like you're being wrecked, and sometimes it'll feel as though your religion is being shredded. But if you belong to Jesus, where he is leading you, he's leading you towards the point where you realize that I have nothing to lose because I am crucified with Christ. I'm a dead person, and I have everything to gain because I'm alive in Jesus, which means I cannot do this. So Jesus comes in. He overturns things in our life. The presence of God does that. He's angry because the worship is not being taken seriously. Here's the second thing. Jesus is angry because he does not tolerate hypocrisy. He doesn't tolerate hypocrisy. Jesus has a zero tolerance for hypocrisy. You know, hypocrisy is not the disparity between what we do and what we wish we did. Hypocrisy is the gap between what we show and who we are. And we don't close that gap with perfection. We close it with Jesus. He, he wants us to be real. He, remember, we're, we're so ashamed sometimes of our brokenness and our hurt and our flaws. But Paul reminds us that even in our weakness, we find our strength. Because Jesus uses the weakness. He wants us to stop playing games and pretending like we're doing the right things. These, these religious leaders in the temple were... They were, they were saying the right things, and they were showing the right things, but their hearts, they had a heart problem. They were being hypocrites. They were living one life and saying something else, and Jesus here is exposing that. He's exposing the hypocrisy and the way that the, the church and the temple of this time period was being desecrated. How serious is Jesus towards the hypocrisy of the church today? Where are our hearts far from him and we're just speaking things and doing things that look right, but our hearts are so far away from God. He, Jesus will not tolerate hypocrisy. He will not tolerate it. Here, here's a, a third thing. We learn from Jesus' anger here that Jesus is a merciful and loving God, but he's also holy and he's just. Jesus is a merciful and loving God, but he's also holy and just. The, the God who loves what is good must hate what is evil. The, the God who loves what honors his name must despise what dishonors it. The God who loves what blesses his people must hate what harms them. It could not be any other way, and we would not want it any other way. I would argue that God's wrath is his love in action against sin. He says... God is love, and God does all things for his glory. He loves his glory above everything. That's a good thing. So therefore, God rules the world in such a way that it brings himself maximum glory. This means that God must act justly and judge sin. Otherwise, God would not be God. God's love for his glory motivates his wrath against sin. 
He is merciful and loving, but He is also holy and just. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I just sit back and I read this passage and I just think of His anger. It must have been an experience to see Jesus turning tables over in the temple courtyard. Watching Him running out the money changers and flipping these tables and challenging the religious leaders must have been both confusing and even exciting. But as people pulled away day after day looking for a change to their situation, it must have caused many to stop and think, it's finally here. Our change is finally here. Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy, the false worship, those who are taking advantage of my Father's house. Jesus' is turning over the tables in the temple is a great reminder to us that he is concerned both by the way God is glorified and by how people are treated. Oh, I want to say that again. That Jesus turning over the tables in the temple is a reminder to us that he is concerned both by the way God is glorified and by the way people are treated. Love God and love others. Christians should acknowledge that they are responsible for pointing people to Jesus. And when we fail to do so because they cannot see beyond our show, when, when he has every right to get angry, what tables is he turning over in your life today? If Jesus walked into your temple, what would he think? Would he leave things the way that they were? Or would he flip things upside down? Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for allowing us to get to know you more. As we learn your attributes and who you are, God, we can understand you more and worship you more and give you more glory. And we're so thankful for what you're doing in our lives. May our worship rise as incense to you. May you be pleased. May we turn away from hypocrisy and live out lives that glorify you. And we thank you for all that you're going to do. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.